preaching today from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 10 and 11, almost the very last words here of Peter. I have a few greetings to give at the end that I, I will preach from next week, Lord willing, but uh, this benediction is given by Peter here at the end of his, of his letter. And to set the stage, I do want to begin reading from verse 5 so that you can hear it in its context. Listen as I read God's word. Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Resist him steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. But may the God of all grace, who called us to his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect Establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I hope you might recognize those words. As I've been preaching through 1 Peter at the close of every service over the last several months, I raised my hands and said these words. Now may the God of all grace, who has called us to eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after you have suffered a while, perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. As you heard those words, I hope that you might recognize them and you might be able to look at your bulletin and say, oh, That's the benediction. But perhaps you don't know what a benediction is. Perhaps you don't know why I raise my hand as I give a benediction. So today, I want to explain what a benediction is. But even more than explain, I want you to really understand so that you would see the rich significance of this blessing. That's what a benediction is. I want you to see the rich significance of the benediction so that you would look forward to it each week. You would look forward to it and look up to receive God's blessing. I want to begin by by telling you what a benediction is, and then I want you to understand the context of the content of this benediction, what Peter says as he expresses God's blessing. So I just raised my hands, and I said those words that I hope are familiar with you. It may be that when you heard them, you thought, oh, the service is over. Maybe you're like, like I was when I was, when I was young, and I saw the pastor raise his hands, and he expressed the benediction, and I thought, he's finally done. I can go play with my friends. <laughs> I thought of the benediction as a signal that the service was over. 
And that's really all that I thought about it. Or perhaps, since I have been using these same words over and over again, perhaps they have become, become common to you. You may think of them as, uh, as something that you can just tune out. I know these words. He's said them over and over again. And when you hear things by rote, you can do that. Not intentionally, for sure. But you begin to think about what's happening next. Maybe you have a busy week and your mind already is engaged in that. Maybe it's been running in the back of your head all through the service. Now that the benediction kicks in, it's like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm on, on the race of the week before me. Well, today I want you to pause and to consider the benediction. I want you to see the profound significance that it is as part of our worship. Simply put, a benediction is a blessing. More precisely and more profoundly, it is God's blessing that is being expressed. It isn't mine. It is God's blessing that is being given to you. For in worship, we come to the Lord to bow before him. He is almighty God and is worthy to, uh, for us to say how great you are just because of who you are. And it's right for us to come as those who are redeemed from our sins by the blood of Jesus Christ. It's right for us to come and say thank you for what you've done for us. You have lifted us out of the grave. You have taken away the curse that has been ours. You've made us alive in Jesus Christ by the power of your spirit. It's right for us to come. And at the beginning of the service, as I described, we come at God's call. And we speak of that when we, when we are here in worship. We say to the Lord in our praise how great you are, how, how thankful we are. We pour out to him our, our, uh, our, our understanding of our sinfulness. We express that in your holy presence, O oh Lord, we can see our sins and we confess those before you. We speak to the Lord of, our, of the desires of our heart as we pour out our hearts in prayer. Worship is more than our speaking to God. Worship also has the element of God speaking to us. There's something of this holy conversation that is taking place. Because we say to God how great you are, and God speaks to us, and he declares his righteousness. He tells us of who he is and what he has done. He calls us to renew our faith in him. And in response, he renews his promises to us. Your sins I do forgive in Jesus Christ. I forgive all who come to me by faith. And in worship, we hear that declared by his own power and authority that your sins are forgiven and more reason to worship and thank him. So in this give and take in our worship, we speak and God speaks. And at the very close of our worship service, we go out with 
the blessing of God pronounced upon us. As I said, it's not my blessing, and this is one reason why I raise my hands. It is a, it is a posture that is described all throughout the Bible, and you can see it in a, in a number of passages, that the people of God are blessed by his own servants, and they raise their hands to signify that this comes from God, not from me, but I, as God's authoritative representative, am speaking for him. I am his ordained minister, the messenger from the king. And it's a great privilege for me to do this. And it's a great privilege for you to receive it, to hear and to receive God's own blessing in the midst of our worship. Derek Thomas describes this in, in really a wonderful way, and I, kind of to summarize what he says, it's, it's God saying to his people, you have worshipped. You're now going out into the rest of the week for your work, for your labor. Go in peace. Go in my peace. Go with the assurance of my blessing and the assurance of my covenant promises that are on you, that I will never leave you or forsake you. Go knowing the blessing that your sins are forgiven. Go with the assurance that you are Christ and that he is yours and that you will be Christ's forever. You may indeed experience the trials and difficulties of this week, but you are God's covenant children. You're under his covenant blessings, not his curses. Remember that you are under the sunlight of the gospel this coming week. As Thomas says, the benediction is a glorious moment. That's what the benediction is. Really a glorious moment in the midst of worship where, where we have come to speak to the Lord, to bow before him. We are humbly relying upon his grace and he pronounces that on us by his power, by his word, by what he has accomplished. He pronounces his blessing on you. That is the what of God's blessing. And uh, let me add that, that what I'm encouraging you to do is to look forward to this blessing and to look up to receive the blessing. And I say that because the, the benediction is sometimes thought of as a prayer. There is some truth to that. Uh, there's a sense of asking the Lord for this blessing. But it falls a little short because it is more than a prayer. Because I am standing as God's authoritative representative. And I'm pronouncing something. It's not just a request for it. This is a reality. I'm pronouncing a truth that is yours by faith in Jesus Christ. Because of that, sometimes you would hear me say, look up to receive the blessing of the Lord. 
It may be common. You may feel odd doing that. I encourage you to bow and to close your eyes as we pray to shut out some of those distractions. But there is something of looking up in anticipation, looking up to the Lord himself in anticipation and desire and earnest appreciation for the reality that the benediction is. So I'll say that throughout the service today. Look to Jesus for his blessing. Look to him for his benediction. Look up to receive blessing of the Lord. That's the what. Now let's look at what Peter says. Because this is not the only blessing that is expressed in Scripture. There are many others that are rightly uh, described as benedictions, and I use a, a wide variety of them. There are also other Scripture passages that might be used that are the promises of God. And I think it's even appropriate for, for the pastor to to weave together other blessings, not be a direct quote, but weave together other blessings. It would be a declaration of the covenant promises of God upon us. But today and throughout this preaching, I've used these words from Peter. So let's look at the content of what Peter says. And by way of outline, I... Since they are so familiar, I'm just going to walk through each of these phrases and pause to explain them so that as you have meditated on them for months, I pray that you would continue to meditate on them. But may the God of all grace is the beginning phrase. Peter's just warned you, and I just warned you, Never turn your back on the lion. Those words are very serious and sobering, aren't they? When we heard them last week, we took them to heart. There is a real enemy. Believe that Satan is not a fable or a myth. There's a very real enemy, and he is seeking to devour you. And there are temptations that he uses to distract you, to divide you, to devour you. That can be scary. Peter doesn't sugarcoat the Christian life. It's hard. There's opposition that you face. And it's not just in these last verses. Throughout this letter, he has been talking honestly about the persecution that the Christian church faces. And that wasn't just the church in Peter's day. The Spirit of God moved Peter to write into a specific situation so that you today would understand that the hard things that you are going through are overruled by God. There is an enemy. Christian life is not easy. There's opposition. 
for the theme that, uh, that has gone through is that there is glory for the Christian, but there's suffering that precedes that glory. We should not be surprised by the fiery trial that sets upon us. And in that context, Peter immediately turns to speak of God's grace. Because Satan is not God. Satan is not a God. Satan is not even as powerful as God. He never was and he never will be. Jesus has crushed the head of the serpent. He has cast him down. But it is sobering to know that there is a warning about the reality of that enemy who is still living. You know these things. You know the trials of the temptations that easily beset you, the internal struggles that you have with your own sinful nature that wars against your new nature in Jesus Christ, flesh warring against the Spirit. And so, immediately following the sober warning, Peter declares God's blessing. He declares it. He is the God of all grace. Now, this proves to be something of a bookend to Peter's letter. And I began our worship service today with the beginning of Peter's letter. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That's how Peter begins, and that's how he ends. He begins and he ends with God's grace. Remember that grace is God's unmerited favor. It is not something that you deserve. It is not something that you have to clean yourself up in order to merit it or to receive it. It is given by God. There's the significance of part of the pronouncement of the benediction, that it is pronounced upon you. Benediction doesn't rest on your strength. It doesn't rest on your purity. It rests purely on the loving desire of God to save you from your sins, to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I want you to think about Peter experiencing this grace. We've been learning just really beautiful lessons from Peter's own lives, ones that we can see ourselves in. Think of how Peter had failed the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of how he abandoned him in his hour of need. But the God of all grace saved him. God of all grace saved him. 
I say that to you. Your salvation comes from the God of all grace. He has poured out that favor on you. Not because you deserve it, but because of his everlasting love. And that's significance to us for all of life. It gives us that eternal hope that he described as a treasure in heaven that cannot be stolen away, that will never be perverted or decay away. It gives us hope in the midst of the troubles of this life. Think of it as the adversary, the devil, comes and accuses you of your sin. What is your answer in that? Well, I'll do better next time. I'll clean myself up. I I hope I will persevere to the end. Those will always fail. But the God of all grace never fails. He is the one who has promised to cleanse you from all of your sins. Because of that, look forward to the benediction. Look forward to that proclamation that you are in Jesus Christ and that by faith your sins are forgiven, that by grace you have been saved. It is the God of all grace that proclaims it to you. Secondly, the God of all grace who called us to his eternal glory in Christ Jesus. Think back through Peter's letter, and you might remember that he describes us as being pilgrims. We are on a journey towards heaven. That means that we have a destination that Jesus has secured for us. He even said that. I go to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be also. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again so that you may be with me. Pilgrim journey has a destination, a destination of heaven. Now, you are right now a child of God. But we are not yet in heaven, are we? Therein lies the tension. Therein lies the tension of the already being a child of God and the not yet being perfect in heaven. And in the already, we go through a pilgrim life. We go through the hills of difficulty, the uh, valleys of humiliation, find ourselves in Vanity Fair, tempted by the indulgence of the world and the flesh and the devil? How is it that we will persevere in the midst of that pilgrim journey? Well, it is by the call of Christ. It is by the call of Christ that you have been born again to this living hope. You already possess the the citizenship in heaven that will be ultimately realized and consummated when we see Jesus face to face in heaven. 
And you have glimpsed this glory, just as Peter glimpsed the glory of Jesus unveiled on the Mount of Transfiguration. You've glimpsed this glory in others, the saints that have gone before you and have walked faithful to the end. You've seen that in their lives. You've seen that as they've run that race, looking to Jesus as the author and finisher of their faith. Glimpse that in your own life, as you know, he has set you free. But your head may hang low with the shame and guilt of that not yet experience. Your head may hang low because you feel the tooth and the claw of the lion. You know your own responsibility in that. You have gone back into sin. How will you endure? How will the Lord forgive you? It is all of grace. And it is all the call of Jesus. It is your king who calls you. It is your king that has entered into the fray on your behalf to slay the demons, to slay Satan, to put to death the sin in your life. Your king calls you to himself. As I said last week, you have a new master. You're no longer enslaved to Satan. You have a new master. And as your king calls, you look to him for his blessing. And that's what's declared in the benediction. It's your king calling you. My Lord, you called Look to him for his blessing. After you have suffered a while, all throughout this letter, maybe you have been like me and said, wow, really? In the midst of suffering, I can worship God? And in the midst of a benediction, you will mention suffering? That doesn't seem to fit, but it does, doesn't it? It is especially in the midst of suffering that we long to know that we are a child of God. It is especially in the midst of suffering that this declaration of God, you are my child, I have called you to myself, that has such an important hold on our lives that addresses us right where we live. Because we do find ourselves on that hill of difficulty. Psalm 27 is an expression of trouble, not just of assurance of God's help, but it is in the midst of that trouble that we can say, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom will I be afraid? The enemies surround me. 
The lion is prowling, he's roaring, wanting to devour me. But the Lord is my light and my salvation. After you have suffered a while, you know the joy of believing. And at the same time, you know the agony of temptation and the reality of your own sin. You may grow weary in that. You may even despair of reaching the end of the race, but do not be afraid. Your king is with you. He has indeed entered the fray on your behalf and has delivered you. He is the God of all grace. He is the one who has called you to his eternal glory. And he who is promised is faithful. He will also do it. Once more, let's think about Peter. I hope you'll find yourself in Peter's story again. Remember the heights of joy that were part of Peter's life. Walking and talking with the Son of God. Of going with him up onto the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. Of seeing the glory of the Son of God unveiled in the Son of hearing the Father from heaven declare, this is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Peter rightly said, this is, it's good for us to be here. Let's stay here. Let's build, some, let's build some tabernacles, some tents, that we can stay here. He also knew the depths of despair. He wept after denying Jesus. Surely despairing of his own life. But Christ prayed for him. As he does for you. Each one of you who trust in Jesus. The king has not only entered the fray on your behalf. He's not only delivered you, but he prays for you. Constantly mediating on your behalf. So that in the midst of suffering, you know that you have an advocate with the Father. You, have, you know that you have one who sustains you. You know that you will reach the end of the race and receive the promised prize. And that light resists the temptations that are common to suffering. Temptations that you are alone. The temptations that you are a failure temptations that argue against you and then look forward to the pronouncement of God's blessing look for Jesus who is the author and finisher of your faith and run for that prize of the upward call of Christ well now come the verbs of the sentence <laughs> if you are if you like grammar, all that's come are, you have the subject, the God of all grace is going to do something. Well, here's what he's going to do. He is going to bless you with perfecting you, establishing you, strengthening you, and settling you. So let's take a few moments to think of each of those. Perfect you. Now, that word makes us tend to think of Perfection as without error, and that's not really what uh, what the word has in mind. 
has more in mind the idea of completion in our lives or restoration. Uh, That's the way some translations put it. It's a really good word in this case, the idea of restoration. One commentator compares it to a doctor setting a broken bone. So think about it, that your leg is broken. What does a doctor do? He restores it. He makes it complete or whole again. Perfect, that's the, uh, it's not without error, but it is restored. And this resonates in our life, doesn't it? Resonates in our life as surely as it did for Peter to, to be called by Jesus on the shore of Galilee and to have the Son of God say, Peter, do you love me? And the Lord gently and firmly restoring one who had failed in such a dramatic fashion. It resonates with us. It resonates that, the, that, that God is working in those sufferings, that God is purifying us through the trials of this life, that he is... is is restoring what was broken. And I say that carefully because sin is more than brokenness, and it's a common way to describe it. There's much more to it than that, but it, but it is part of that, that restoration of what was broken. And the Lord pronounces this upon you, that it is his purpose to restore you heal where you have failed, to forgive where you have sinned, and to send you out to serve according to his own purpose. May the Lord establish you. This is the second verb. It's the same word that Peter used in verse 9. There in the face of the lion, he calls you to be steadfast in the faith, steadfast to be established, to have that sense of maturity so that you're not blown about by every wind of doctrine, not blown about by every accusation that the enemy brings, not destroyed by the failings of your sin. For Satan has indeed demanded to sift you like wheat. But Jesus said of Peter, what did Jesus say? I have prayed for you, and when you return, strengthen your brothers. There's the word, establish them. Set them in strength and maturity. And Jesus is that firm foundation, the foundation that can't be moved. Though the trials of this life seem like raging storms, Jesus is with you in them. He has entered the fray on your behalf. He is with you, and he causes those storms even to deepen your faith so that you grow stronger, which is the next word that Peter used, may God strengthen you, a synonym for establish. and has in mind here the opposite of weakness. 
And I like to think of this as uh, in terms of, of getting weak in the knees. That's an American phrase that uh, you may not uh, use that in other countries, but think of what it feels like if you were in my story last week where, where you were in the presence of the lion and it jumps at you. And even behind a fence, it made my knees feel weak. It means to be afraid. Well, there is strength that comes from faith in Jesus Christ. We're reminded that the lion isn't our master anymore. Instead, our king has freed you and made you his child. And so you are able to walk in his blessing, walk in the assurance that you know that you are a child of God. And there is a strength in that knowledge, a strength of confidence that comes from maturity and faith. And that comes through in Psalm 27 as well, doesn't it? The Lord is my light. He is my saving strength. Who will stand against me? Finally, Peter says that the Lord will settle you. This is a word that comes from construction. My, uh, my grandsons, Jack and Emmett, would like this word. Uh, has the idea of the diggers coming out, the excavators, and the, the loaders coming out and digging down in the dirt, and the cement mixer coming and pouring a foundation. That foundation then being underneath all that is built up on the top. And this is a word that describes the laying of a foundation. When you trust in Jesus as your Savior, he becomes your foundation. He declares judicially that you are righteous in his sight. And I like the legal foundation of that, that Jesus took your sins on the cross. And he paid for them in full, and he gave you his righteousness in return. There is documentation that you can go to. Legal documentation to say, this is a child of God. And he pronounces this to you by his blessing. Here we'll imagine once more Peter as he walked on the water. Walking on the water as Jesus was walking. When the wind and the waves distracted him from Jesus, he began to sink under the waves. And he cried out, Lord, save me. Imagine being in that stormy water and your feet stretching down and your neck stretching up. And you're looking with your feet for a place to stand and there's nothing there. And if you cannot swim, if you're out in the middle of the ocean, that's a terrifying feeling, isn't it? It's terrifying to be in that position. As, Jesus, as Peter cried out in faith, Lord, save me, Jesus came and scooped him up and took him 
to the ship. When you feel the wind and the waves overwhelming you, and your foot is stretching looking for that place to stand and you can't find it, be sure that you look towards Jesus. He settles you. He is your foundation. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. These are words of worship. It's almost as if Peter can't contain himself at this point. He bursts out to say, this is what the Lord is declaring. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Once more, I'll just observe that here is worship in the midst of suffering. To God be the glory. There is grace. There is peace in his presence. He is the one who has caused you to be born again. He is the one who declares his blessing. He is the one who is is at work to perfect you, establish you, save you, settle you, strengthen you. You in Christ have a firm foundation. It is yours and you are his now and forevermore. To him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, when we were sinking down, you saved us from our sin. When we were dead in our trespasses, you sent your son to die on the cross. When we were your enemies, you acted to deliver us. Lord, I pray that you would bless us by your grace. May we know the the reality of that. May we know that today in the midst of our worship. Pray that you would communicate to us the rich significance of your blessing. Not just my words, but the words that are inspired by Peter, that are your promises of what you do for your people. May may we, O Lord, look to Jesus as that author and finisher of our faith and worship you, for yours truly is the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Amen close by singing the last portion of Psalm 27, Selection D. I invite you to please stand to sing.